Well, good morning. I don't know, was anybody else awakened uh, about 4.30 from a downpour last night? Boy, that, uh, they talk about the latter rains in the Bible, and I don't remember a rain coming down that hard uh, in May. And uh, anyway, I'm glad you're here. If you, were, if you woke up that early, that's maybe why you're here at the early service. <laughs> well, we are in Psalm 9 this morning. We started our uh, series last week on the Psalms, <clears throat> and I've grown to love the Psalms uh, over the last few years, I think partly because uh, Jesus really loved the Psalms, and uh, most likely Jesus and his disciples sang from the Psalms at the Passover feast that we call the Last Supper. That was their custom, and when Jesus died on the cross, he had the Psalms on his lips. The Hebrew word for, for praise is psalm, and this is a book of praises, uh, considered the hymn book of Israel. All the psalms were set to music, and <clears throat> unfortunately we've lost that, that music over time, but the poetry remains. And psalms is not only a hymn book, H-Y-M-N, we can also consider it a hymn book, H-I-M, because it's all about the Messiah, Jesus. Some say there's a more complete picture of Jesus in the Psalms than there is in the Gospels. While the Gospels tell us he was crucified, Psalm 22 tells us what was going on in his heart when he was on the cross. While the book of Acts tells us that he ascended to heaven, the Psalms show us Christ seated in heaven. In Jeff's beautiful introduction last week, he talked about how poetry cuts deeply into our emotions and that it bypasses what he called the watchful dragons of our minds to steal our hearts. And one of the interesting things about this poetry is that it does not rhyme. And I used to wonder about that, uh, thinking, well, maybe when they translated it from Hebrew to English, they lost the, rhy the rhyming words. But by God's design, the, the Psalms were not intended to rhyme, so that in any language, they carry the same impact. The Psalms are an open invitation for all the earth to sing to the glory of his name. Now, to make an overly broad generalization, uh, men, don't be too offended, but uh, if you're a guy, you may not be that interested in poetry. And uh, reading poetry, much, much less writing poetry, may not be uh, high on your list of things to do. But at least 73 of the poems were written by David, who I would call a man's man. Uh, in fact, David represents a picture of manhood that I think we can aspire toward. Uh, not I'm not talking about his failings, but I'm talking about his great heart for God, and how that is expressed through the Psalms. Not only, was this, not only was David this warrior mighty in battle, but these beautiful Psalms reveal that he was in touch with his emotional life and expressed it in a healthy way in these, in these poems. Researchers have identified some 2,000 emotions but when men are surveyed 
about identifying their emotions, most can only identify three. <laughs> there are many middle-aged men out there who are like teenagers emotionally, and if there are addictions involved, it's even worse. And if married, uh, some of their wives are dying because their husbands can't connect with them on that level. Now, I have to admit, my communication style is very different from my wife Sally's communication style, and that has been one of the, possibly the biggest challenge in our marriage. And sometimes she'll accuse me of responding too much like a man. <laughs> in other words, as she's pouring out her heart to me, um, my mind wants to go to the bottom line. And I'm already racing ahead in my thoughts to a quick solution to solve her problem. But that's not what she's looking for. And if I bring up a quick fix, I do so at my own peril. <laughs> she's looking for empathy. She's looking for me to enter into her emotional world. And that's where we can find oneness if a man dares to go there. <clears throat> now, the, the scripture calls husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. And some of the men may be sitting there and wondering if that's possible. Well, it must be possible or God would not have asked us to do it, right? So listen very carefully, uh, husbands. The key to unlocking the mysteries of womanhood can be found in the Psalms of David. And let me explain what I mean there. Every emotion known to humankind is expressed in the Psalms. So they are a tool for you to get more in touch with your emotional world and your wife's emotional world. So use them in your personal devotions. Read them out loud. Get used to communicating more freely on that level. And you'll be good, begin to enter into oneness with your wife's soul and learn how to care for her spirit. No woman can resist a man who loves his wife, who loves his wife's soul in this way. And that's why men, women, and children were drawn to Jesus because he was a lover of their souls. Now, as I mentioned, we're looking at Psalm 9 this morning. There's a little notation that precedes the, the psalm. It says, um, for the choir director, Anmuth Laban, a psalm of David. We don't know exactly what that little word or phrase means, Anmuth Laban, but one intriguing possibility comes from the ancient Chaldee or Aramaic text, which it translates it this way, quote, concerning the death of the champion who went out between the camps. <clears throat> Can any, anybody think of an incident in the life of David that involved the death of a champion who went out between the camps? Yes. Anyone? What, pardon? Uh, I, no, I don't think that's what I was thinking about. Pardon? Goliath. Goliath. Okay. 
Uh, there's some scholars who believe this psalm was written by King David looking back on the victory over Goliath or some other Philistine. But the, another interesting twist on it, symbolically, prophetically, it's also looking forward to the victory of God over Satan, the evil one. So if you remember this story, uh, David as a young man was uh, tending his father's sheep and uh, his brothers were all off fighting the Philistines. And Goliath was this mature, trained warrior, some nine feet tall, uh, who'd been challenging the Israelites, or, or an Israelite, to come and fight him one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano. And Goliath laughed out loud when he saw this young David approach him with a slingshot. You know, here, here Goliath has the sword, he's got armor, you know, all these things, nine feet tall, and... Here's young David coming out with a slingshot. And he carried five smooth stones in a little, little on his belt. Yet David was not fighting Goliath alone. He had the God of Israel, the great I Am, on his side that day. Well, we're going to start here in Psalm 9, verse 1. Let me pray as we open this. Lord, Open the eyes of our hearts now. Grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we read your word. May these words come alive to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. David writes, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish. Before your presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. So you may remember David's immortal line that day when he confronted Goliath. He said to the Philistine, quote, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So when Goliath stepped forward to fight David, David ran quickly toward the battle line. David put his hand into his bag, took out a stone, and slung it and struck Goliath right in the forehead, and Goliath fell face down on the ground. Let's read verse 6. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord, who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He does not forget the cry of the humble. He is a stronghold 
for those who are oppressed. And right now there are many Christians in the Middle East who are crying out to God for help, for rescue. They're being persecuted, besieged, sometimes beheaded or even crucified for their faith. Let's look at verse 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. Verse 18, For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail, let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord, let the nations know that they are but men. Are you facing a giant in your life this morning that seems like it's a Goliath? Are you facing troubles that may seem bigger than you can handle? One of the great ironies of life is that when we feel most weak, when we feel the most inadequate, that's when we find God's strength. And when we go to him in humility, uh, confessing our sins and saying, God, I can't handle this. You take over. Fight this battle for me. God delights in meeting you in that place. When Goliath taunted and mocked David, the young shepherd boy told him, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. The battle is the Lord's, so don't try to fight it alone. God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Verse 18 tells us he remembers the poor and needy. About a year ago, uh, I started to notice a Hispanic man on our street <coughs> on, uh, who had come along in the morning on, on uh, trash day, Friday mornings, and uh, he was in a wheelchair going through the uh, recycle bins looking for recyclables. I happened to talk, mention him to my neighbor, Laura. I said, hey, have you seen this guy in the wheelchair who's going through the trash cans? He said, yeah, yeah. You know, he's got an interesting story, and uh, his name is Juan, and she knew about my website, God Reports, that I collect stories and testimonies, and she said, you ought to interview him sometime. And so I got his number from her, and I uh, met Juan at a mobile home park where he lives in Capo Beach near Costco. And Juan told me his story. Juan grew up in Toluca, Mexico, about 25 miles west of Mexico City. And he watched his friends and uh, family members return from Mexico with money 
and he thought, gee, I would like to be like them. And he was attracted to this place that seemed like a dream world, uh, very unreal. He had a rough background. His father abandoned his mom and seven children when he was three years old, uh, never knew his father, uh, didn't go to church, grew up surrounded by other, other gangs when he was 13. He joined for survival. There was a lot of drugs and alcohol, stealing, fighting. When he turned 19, he decided he wanted to come to the U.S., and he went to his mom and told her. And she argued with him, and, but his heart was set on it, and he said, I will go with my brother Alvaro, and uh, we will go together. So when the two brothers left, she called out to them, may God be with you. They made it to Tijuana and had several failed attempts to get across the border, but they finally made a successful crossing and decided they would catch a freight train to Los Angeles to find work. Halfway through Camp Pendleton, the train stops, and Juan looked through the door and they saw immigration agents coming, so they jumped off and started running toward the beach, but there were officers waiting on the beach. So Juan and his brother hid in a large bush. And when they thought it was safe, uh, they came out, but uh, there was an officer watching with binoculars who got in his truck and started to move toward him. The train started moving. They started running, and they, uh, uh, they leaped and were able to, to uh, jump on the train, and the officer was yelling after them. After a few miles, the train stopped again in Capistrano Beach. <clears throat> and Alvaro told Juan he thought they were trying to catch them again. So they jumped off and were looking for a place to hide. Uh, but they didn't see any immigration officers this time. So they, uh, but the train started to move. And then began to argue, should we stay here or should we, should we jump on? And uh, the train, they decided they would get on the train, but it started to pick up speed. So Juan says, we ran as fast as we could to jump and grab a side ladder, <clears throat> but it's hard to run on the rocks. Alvaro leaped first and was able to get on. Then Juan jumped for the metal stairs, but he was able to grab them, but his feet didn't land. So he was hanging and his feet were flying in the air. He says, I couldn't stand the movement and I let go. My body came down in the train sucked me in. <clears throat> the train sucked my leg into the wheels and smashed them, totally. Alvaro was watching his brother <clears throat> hanging in the air and had a terrible feeling when he saw him let go. So he jumped off the moving train, rolled, hit his head, but didn't break any bones. <clears throat> then he saw a terrible sight. Juan's legs had been severed <clears throat> by the massive wheels. And he was in shock. They both were in shock. So he grabbed <clears throat> Juan's torso to pull him away from the tracks. And uh, this happened behind Costco, <clears throat> next to uh, Seaside Nursery. One of the owners of the nursery heard Juan's screams and came running and uh, saw the young immigrant bleeding to death. 
So he grabbed some, some sticks and wire and made a crude tourniquet <coughs> and kept him from bleeding to death until paramedics came. They took him to uh, Mission Hospital and uh, he passed out at this point when he arrived at the hospital. And when he woke up sometime later, he thought he had had a terrible nightmare. His eyes flickered open and he saw he had no legs and he started screaming again. Juan saw his brother <coughs> was uh, sitting in the room nearby. He said, Alvaro, tell me this is not real. Tell me this is not happening. Alvaro said, it's not a dream, Juan. This is what happened. Juan said, please help me to die. I don't want to live. Alvaro said, I won't help you die. <clears throat> There's a reason that you're alive. Checking his head, Juan pulled his IV out. In response, the nurses sedated him. The hospital sent in a psychologist, uh, but he didn't want to talk to her. Then a Catholic priest visited his room, <clears throat> offered him the body of Christ, communion. Juan shook his head and said, I don't want Christ. I don't want anything. The priest returned a couple days later, asked, would you talk to me? Juan said, I told you the last time to leave me alone. At that moment, he hated God. He didn't want any part of God. A few days later, Juan overheard the priest talking to his brother outside the room. And Juan thought to himself, don't even think about coming into my room. Thought about how he could curse this priest. Then he pressed a button on his, uh, that they gave him to, re to uh, receive a morphine shot and started to drift off to sleep. But this priest came into the room, sat down, and started to read a book. And as Juan was drifting off, he, could, he noticed the priest came over and sat right next to him and reached out and put his hand on him. And Juan thought, no, 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 you've gone too far. When Juan opened his eyes, he saw the priest <clears throat> was on his knees crying. And uh, <clears throat> Juan was shocked by that sight. Who are you? Juan asked. My name is Juanote. Now, Juanote, or Big John, is the nickname that was given to Monsignor John Caulfield who devoted more than 60 years of his life <coughs> to working with the poor. And Juan asked, why do you keep coming when I asked you, when I said I don't want to talk to you? Father Juanote said, because you are my little brother, you are a son of God, and I would like to share this suffering with you if you let me be your friend. God loves you so much. He sent me here to share this suffering. One said, I don't want to be your friend. He said, well, I won't talk to you about God. I'll just be your friend. And one said, okay, if you don't talk about God, 
Then I hope you're a friend. The two men embraced and one started crying. <clears throat> Father Winote was 75 years old <clears throat> when he came to visit, and he came to visit every single day at the hospital. And it was time for him to be released. Father Winote arranged for a family to, in Capo Beach to take him and his brother in to live rent-free for several years. And, the fa and uh, Father Winote came to visit him every day in that house to have lunch with him. A few days after Juan arrived, um, the family invited him to attend a church retreat. And Juan said, no way. I don't believe in God. I don't like church, and I'm not interested. They had, the daughter and the family said, well, it's, it's fun there at this retreat, and it's like a fiesta, and if you, don't, if you don't like it, you can leave. So Juan agreed to go, but he was determined to show them that there is no God, that God is a fantasy that man invented. But on the retreat, Juan was astonished when he heard God's voice. He said, I heard his voice talking to me by name. And he told me, Juan, it is me talking to you, Jesus. And Juan thought, that's not possible. It's, it can only be my thoughts. Jesus said, it is not your thoughts. I love you so much. My love is all you need to be happy. I have a mission for you. Juan thought he was imagining things. But his resistance began to break down as he discovered Jesus is real and Jesus is alive. And a spirit of repentance began to soften his heart. And Juan decided to follow Jesus and he was born again. Now it's been 26 years since Juan gave his life to Jesus. Ten years after the accident, he met his wife, Elizabeth. They've been married 15 years, and they have four children. They all live in a small trailer near Costco. <coughs> Elizabeth cleans houses. Juan goes through neighborhoods like mine collecting recyclables. <coughs> he also sells snacks part-time at the soccer fields. He says, Jesus came into my life and I found real meaning. This is what gives me strength. Now I live because I found his love. He says, I still have troubles, but Jesus is at my side and they're not too bad. I don't give up. I fight with him at my side. I lost my legs, but now I have something better. Jesus. Now, before Father Winote passed away in 2005, he gave Juan a guitar as a gift. And he said, someday you will play this guitar and sing in front of many people. In Psalm 9, as we just read, David tells us that God hears the cry of the humble. He hears the cry of the afflicted. Juan had every reason to be angry at God after his tragedy. And we see David's anger expressed so honestly in the Psalms. Why be God? 
Why did you let this happen to me? But God sent a rescuer who showed him his love. And then Jesus spoke to Juan's heart directly, saying, I love you so much. Even in your stubborn rebellion, in your resistance to me, I will keep loving you. And that love finally melted Juan's heart. I'd like to introduce you now to Juan Carlos Cruz, and he's going to play a song for us. My name is Juan Carlos, Juan Carlos Cruz, and I'm one, one of your neighbors in Capistrano Beach. When I got here, I didn't speak any English. I went to school to learn, too. Uh, Father Juan, he sent me to school, to the um, ESL, English as a Second Language. So, and I got involved in that program, and I loved it. And I said, ah, oh, I like English. I, like, I, I have to learn. Uh, I couldn't speak a word, but then I learned, then he, when he gave me the guitar, uh, a friend of mine from, uh, uh, from the prayer uh, group, he said, oh, I, I noticed you have, you have some talent playing the guitar. Would you like to study, uh, go to school? I said, uh, probably, he said to me, I know a good teacher in Capistrano Beach. Uh, why don't we go and ask him if he can teach you, give you lessons? Uh, sure. We went to this uh, teacher's home. It, it, uh, he was living where I live now. And uh, his name was Greg Coleman. He, he used to teach at Saddleback. So I took some lessons, and he said, well, I teach at Saddleback. Why don't you get in, enrolled in my class? Sure, okay. I, 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 my English was so poor back then, but uh, I got enrolled in Saddleback, and I started learning the guitar. I never thought, I, when, when he gave me the guitar, I thought, this man is crazy. He thinks I'm going to play guitar and sing. I wasn't really feeling like, I told him, you know, I don't know how to play guitar. I don't even know how to sing. I don't think so. I don't think this is for me. But then uh, when I got enrolled in Saddleback, I took voice lessons and then uh, guitar and a little bit of piano. And s but uh, I never thought uh, that I was going to do this. Now I have, uh, I have four recordings that I've done in Spanish. I'm into the music ministry. And I've written like probably 50 songs and um, put the music and lyrics myself. And I decided to, to put all my talent to the service of God too, as probably this man right here does. <laughs> and I'm so glad to, to be alive, to continue living, because um, God has a mission for me. And... So I, I was telling them, I, sometimes I'm traveling to other cities to share my story, my testimony, how God touched my life, how God has been so good, so great to me, that uh, I, I really, really thank God that uh, that accident happened. Because if that accident hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't be here or anywhere close to God. But now I'm glad that I that this accident happened. 
I feel normal. I don't feel like uh, like a disabled person. I feel like, because do you know what disabled means? Disabledness is, is not able to love. That's the real disabledness in our lives, not the physical. We can be disabled physically, but we're not disabled. If we're more disabled in our hearts, if we don't really have God or love our, our brothers. So I'm going to sing a song for you. <laughs> Thank you. <coughs> I'm going to try to do Spanish and English. Is that okay? Jesus, glorious King, we adore you, Holy Lord. You have been crowned above all names, Jesus Jesus, King and Lord, we adore you. We adore you, Holy Lord. You have been crowned above all names. Jesus, King and Lord. We adore you, Holy Lord. You have been crowned above all names, Jesus King and Lord. One last time, let us all sing. Jesus King and Lord, we adore you. We adore you, Holy Lord. You have been crowned above all names, Jesus King and Lord. Jesus King and Lord.
Lord, I seek you. I seek you more than life. I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you more than life. Yo te busco. Yo te busco. Yo te busco, yo te busco, tú eres todo lo que deseo, te necesito, te necesito. I wish that God bless your life. Never stop believing. There is a God, someone that watches over us from up there, that lives in our, in our hearts. Always continue on. He will always be at your side. Like he, he's been with me all these 27 years. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. My name is Juan Carlos Cruz. God bless you.
así. Cuando todo está oscuro, cuando creas que nadie te quiere, piensa que existe alguien que te ama de verdad. Piensa que alguien te contigo siempre está piensa que quien te ama es Mesmo longe dos meus Mesmo na solidão Te louvo Te louvo em Pois somente tenho a ti, tu és a minha Te louvo, 
Chilo, en verdad.